Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek podcast. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who happen to have children on the autism spectrum. Join me, Elizabeth, and my co-host Vicki as each week we talk about Star Trek episodes, both new and old. Are you ready for the adventure? Come join us on Moms Going Boldly. Welcome to Moms Going Boldly. Today, Vicki and Elizabeth are excited to start talking about the first episode of the new Star Trek series, Strange New Worlds. How are you doing, Vicki? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. We're having a nice spring. Um, I was really excited to sit down in front of the television <laughs> to watch this new Star Trek series. Yeah. And I'm excited. So let's not let any uh, new listeners who have not maybe dropped in to hear us before, uh, kind of let them know who we are and what we do. I'm Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. And we talk about Star Trek. Uh, Vicki and I share both... Uh, a love of Star Trek and parenting of children on the autism spectrum, which is what brought us together in the first place. And then we discovered this love of Star Trek and voila, a podcast. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that's really important for listeners to know is that this is not a spoiler-free environment. We will talk in depth about Strange New Worlds and we will talk in depth about other Star Trek series. So if you have not seen, say, Discovery... You're going to hear spoilers from Discovery. If you have not watched any of the other Star Trek series or some of them, you're going to hear spoilers from those series as well. You have been forewarned. <laughs> so, should we jump right in? Sure. All right. So, we are going to talk about Season 1, Episode 1, Strange New Worlds. So, let's talk first about, about the theme. What did you think of the theme song of this new Star Trek series? I liked it. It was kind of a call back to TOS. I felt in every way, not just the theme song, but I did like it. And did you also see the new, I don't know, maybe this is not new and I just missed it when I was watching the Discovery as we ended up the last season, but the branding, the new Star Trek branding they have at the beginning. Oh, no. Before you even get to it, you know, or maybe after the Paramount, I don't remember, but there's this like the Star Trek logo and they have this sort of piece of music sort of branding and it says Star Trek on it before they launched into the series. It reminded me very much of the Lucasfilm branding that they're now putting on all the stuff that they're doing on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, I'm going to have to pay more attention. I, yeah, really... I actually kind of like that because I think it really drives home that this is a juggernaut in a way, Star Trek is. I mean, it's now how many years old? 56 and September. Something like that, yeah. You know how do I remember? <laughs> Same age I am. <laughs> <laughs> yep, Star Trek, me. And the Super Bowl, we're all the same age. <laughs> anyway, so then we went into this theme, which you're exactly right. Very reminiscent of the original series Star Trek theme. is on a slightly different key, mm -hmm. but follows the same pattern. And then at the very end has the original series tones, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. And that really kind of was what this whole episode was. Callback after callback after callback after callback. Yes, but it was but. done in a much better way. So well done. Than yeah, Discovery did. And I think maybe that's why I like this so much. 
I, I absolutely love this. I mean, it's only the first episode, but it's so much better than Discovery. Yeah, I agree. The callbacks are very organic yes. and very sort of low-key and not shoved in your face. Look, we yes. know you love Star Trek here. Here's something else to love. And our listeners should know that Vicky and I actually really enjoy Discovery for the most part. Uh, yeah, I know. I should say that before. <laughs> yeah, we actually really do like Discovery. And there are pieces of it that we sometimes got frustrated with. But overall, we really enjoy the series. So we may, excuse me, say things about Discovery that we were frustrated with, but that should not be interpreted as a dislike of Discovery. And, and we encourage our listeners who are interested in Discovery to go back and listen to our Discovery podcast. And you can kind of hear about the things that we really love about that show and the things that we would get frustrated with. Right. And so far, one episode in, we're not seeing the things that we got frustrated with. No. I was thinking maybe they learned from what they did on Discovery, but I think this probably was filming before before season four aired, correct? Yeah. I, I don't know, actually. I have to imagine it was. The other thing that um, our listeners should be aware of is that Vicky is a genius with knowing when filming is taking place, who the actors are, where they've come from, what they've done before, and I'm completely clueless. <laughs> Not frequently. But you can name aliens and dilithium. (laughs) (laughs) Very immersed in the world. I've watched Star Trek since TOS came on the air back, whatever it was. Was it 68, 67? What was it? 66. Yeah, I've watched that in real time since then. And I've watched all of the Star Treks over and over and over, but I still can't name an alien unless they're like Klingons. And I still can't name something disruptors or, you know, shows. (laughs) (laughs) So we're well matched. Yeah, I'm just character-driven, I guess, more than science-driven. Yeah. So anyway, okay, so let's talk about this episode. We start this episode on another planet. We are introduced immediately to a new species who are recognizing the sight of a ship entering orbit around their planet. And at the same time, we're getting a voiceover that we later learn is from uh, the Enterprise's first officer, whose name is Una. And she's talking about how... First contact, meaning a species contact, first contact with another species from another planet. First contact is fiction and it's stories and it's a dream until it's not. And Vulcans invented it. And I know, I love that. <laughs> and Vulcans invented first contact. That just reminded so we, me of Enterprise. Yeah. Was... It was, we should say that that's, this is what, what Vicky was just talking about is a line that was about halfway through the episode. And this episode is just peppered with those cute little lines. Yeah. So we're automatically introduced right away that a Federation ship, because the ship that we see that the new species is observing is clearly a Federation ship, starship, and the Federation ship is orbiting the planet. So we know that the first contact is is happening with this new species. And then we immediately transition over to an entirely different environment. It looks like Earth. It's a snowy place. We hear the sound of a communicator going off. We see a woman in bed. We see someone fixing pancakes in a cast iron skillet. And we come to recognize that this is Captain Pike, full beard and long hair mode. Yeah. He is he's full Grizzly Adams mode. And he is there with his girlfriend, Captain Battelle, fixing pancakes for her. And she's questioning him a little bit about you know, why he's not answering the communicator and is he going to rejoin the Enterprise and what happened to him that she won't talk, that he won't talk to her about. And he says, it's classified. Mm -hmm. And she says, my security clearance is higher than yours. And he says, not for this. Right. And so then she leaves because she's going to go off on her assignment. She's going to be gone for a month. And he's like, well, maybe I'll be here when you get back. 
and then the communicator goes off again. So I want to pause right here because when he said it was classified and it, and it was classified to such a degree that she couldn't know with her higher status than he was, I immediately started to wonder, and this is something I wanted to talk to you about, was this right after the discovery incident, which is classified because discovery went into the future 900 years, or it's classified for more than that. There's lots of layers there. Or was it, this is what I was wondering when we were when I was watching, if this was right after Talos 4. I believe the classified part that he's talking about was the discovery incident. Absolutely. But at the time, I was wondering if maybe they had put us in a different time frame. And this was after Talos 4. Now, Talos 4 was the planet that he went to in the original pilot of Star Trek, which was called The Cage, that was later then turned into a two-parter during the original series called The Menagerie. Right. And that was my... That was also classified. Right. And that was my question before the series started, because if you remember, I was wondering if this was going to take place right after the Discovery, or if this was going right. to go back in time. But right. if this is taking place after Discovery. I was really, really rooting for Talos 4, though. Because in the cage slash menagerie, mm-hmm. one of the illusions that they create for him is a picnic in the Mojave. And this is clearly not the Mojave. No. Mojave's a desert, you know, a snowy place. So I was thinking, ooh, maybe he's retreated to a snowy place because he can't go to the Mojave anymore because it reminds him of what happened on Talos 4. This is how well, yeah, deep but, I was willing to get into this. Yeah, but it it <laughs> is after it is after the events of Talos 4 because it's after Discovery. So we I already know. Talos 4 before Discovery? Yeah, there was a whole episode about it. Remember, yeah. she, she came. Oh, look at me, I forgot there was a whole episode about the talus 4 incident that had already happened wow on discovery this was a discovery episode yes okay ladies and gentlemen welcome to my post-pandemic break <laughs> yeah because wow. i okay, i need to go find that because i was like really hoping we would go do talus 4 now and of course i'm completely off i'm off base no they had a whole episode about talus 4 they had the big head guys they had the the girl i can't remember her name vera verna vena yeah Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to go back and watch that again. I can't believe it. It's okay. All right, I'm going to go figure, find that out, and I'm going to go refill my brain with all that has been lost. Yeah, I, I couldn't yeah. even tell you what episode it is, but that had already happened. Cross that off of my, wouldn't that be cool list? Okay, so after the captain leaves, he goes out and he takes his horse for a ride in the snow, but he immediately encounters a Starfleet shuttlecraft. And it is Admiral Robert April. Mm -hmm. So do you know who Robert April is? Yes. And I never watched the animated series, but I've heard enough about it to know. So for listeners who may not be aware, Robert April was the captain who was the the man who was the captain of the Enterprise before Christopher Pike. Right. And so now in this series, he's an admiral. Right. Captain April comes in and he starts to tell Captain Pike that he's needed to come back. And Pike's like... I'm not going to go. I'm still taking my downtime. Enterprise is out of space talking. And the Admiral's like, um, yeah, you know what? You're you're confused. You're talking to you, not me. I'm telling you. I have an assignment for you. You need to go find your first officer who's missing on a first contact mission. And I'm pulling Enterprise out of space talk now. I was a little surprised that even though he knew she was missing, he still didn't want to go. I mean, I understand he thinks he's not capable of making clear decisions. But I was kind of surprised that once he was told that uh, number one was missing, that he still was refusing to go. Yeah. 
I actually was not, I didn't clue in on that, but yeah, you're right. That wasn't the moment it clicked. What it clicked for him was when he made it in order. Right. Disappointing. We'll, we'll chalk it up to the um, squishiness he's feeling from his experience on Boroth, which we will talk about in just a few minutes. So then we have a, a really interesting scene with Spock and T'Pring, who we met in the original series in the episode Amok Time. Mm-hmm. And I like that they brought her back and brought her back in kind of a subtle way. And they're sitting at a restaurant and he's just back from, you know, his long trip. And she's kind of already making noises about how she doesn't like him being gone for so long. And then she proposes to him and gives him the proposal necklace. It was it was really a cute scene. And then they kiss and then they're told to not do that in the restaurant. Apparently the Vulcans are not into PDA. No. <laughs> no PDA on Vulcan. What was interesting to me, though, is that I was under the impression from previous episodes that Vulcan males actually are not really sexually active, to put it bluntly, unless they're experiencing the pawn far. Well, they always make it sound that way, but well, you're saying males, so I, yeah. You know, we've seen on Enterprise Trip and Paul. Yeah. But yeah, she's a female, but. Yeah, I'm not sure if that means that it's only every once every seven years. Well, there's an episode on Voyager, a Voyager episode called Gravity, where Paris and Tuvok and the Doctor are pulled into this weird subspace pocket where time passes really quickly and they meet a another survivor named Nos. And they yeah. live in Nos's crash ship. Anyway, Nos falls in love with Tuvok. Right. And in the process of... of discussing it with Paris, he says, I'm not experiencing Pon Far, as if I don't do anything about my affections unless I'm going through Pon Far. Right, but that never made sense to me because he said he had three children. So are all his three children seven years apart? I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's a good question. And as the doctor does say in Voyager, he's never met a species who keeps their reproductive behavior so shrouded in mystery. Right. <laughs> and maybe it has nothing to do with Vulcans because Spock is half human. So maybe his half human size changes the mix of it. That could anyway, be. So yeah. He and Tapring are definitely into each other, mm-hmm. and they go back to somebody's apartment, Tapring's or his. I don't know. Anyway, and he's interrupted in the middle of their getting into each other mm-hmm. by a communication from Captain Pike saying, "I'm recalling you to duty." And Tapring again is very consistent in her not happy about him leaving. Right. It's not a very logical approach, but I liked how we were introduced to her. I liked how we have this backstory. It's consistent with the original series so far. It's really cool. So um, then we um, go back to Christopher Pike, who is now all cleaned up, no more Grizzly Adams, and he's on Shuttlecraft Stamets. Right. Yeah. Which, of course, refers to Engineer Stamets from the Discovery, who, as far as the rest of Starfleet is concerned, died Right. this top secret battle that nobody can talk about and this we could call this fan service but in discovery they would have just shoved it in for no reason when she mentioned stamets he stopped and looked at her so it's just kind of showing us that the events of discovery are still on his mind so it wasn't fan service for the sake of fan service it was just a little glimpse into how discovery is still in the front of his mind and it remains again consistent to what's been going on and the other storylines but and consistent to what starfleet would do under those circumstances right it it was just very nice again low-key yes and again we see it again after pike arrives on on the enterprise pike asks spock how he's doing and he talks about how he misses his adoptive sister and that's it right we don't spend a lot of time you know going into exposition about what the story is you either know what's going on or you don't know what's going on right and that's okay we also get to see some um reference to a lieutenant kirk yes 
that so we got to see that and what else did we see um oh and then there's a new officer named lon noonian singh right who is a very interesting character so let's talk a little bit about lon noonian singh first of all do you recognize the actress no i didn't here's a moment where i recognize the actress I recognized her. She started talking. I was like, I know her. I know her. I know her. And I, tried. of course, I had to look it up because I don't have mem. I don't have it. You know, it wasn't in the brain. Right she played a character named Lorna Bucket in a Doctor Who episode called "When a Good Man Goes to War." Oh wow! I don't think I would have remembered that. I love that episode, and, and it was, she was a great character. She was this lovely soldier who was supposed to be fighting against the Doctor, but she only joined up because she wanted to meet the Doctor because she had met him once before when she was a child and she wanted to see him again. So it's the only reason she was a soldier. Which doctor? Uh, Eleven. So it's the episode where, um, I mean, you you watch The Who's. I know that. I've watched all of them. I, I watched the first season of Capaldi and then I haven't watched anything else. So um, it's the one where they kidnap Amy Pond and take her to this asteroid and then they steal her baby. Okay. And so it's that one. Okay. Anyway, so... This, this nice, you know, sort of minor character named Lorna Bucket, but she was a very good character and very, she had a lot of presence and very memorable. And so I recognized her from that. So I'm really excited to see her back because she's a good actress and I enjoyed her performance in that, in that episode. So anyway, she's the new first officer and Spock is going to be the science officer instead of the security chief. Which, you know, Pike accepts and moves on. And so there we go. Oh, and we should probably talk about Noonie and Singh, too. For I mean, because we have all kinds of callbacks there. Yeah. We have callbacks to Space Seed, the Ricardo Montalban episode, and the movie. He was Khan, Noonie and Singh. And then, of course, we also had the invent- Data's, you know, inventor, Dr. Noonie and Singh. Right. I'm interested in how they're going to connect that dot. Any ideas? No, I've thought about it a little bit, but no. And maybe she's just an ancestor. Yeah, no idea. So then we move on, and we learn that um, they're going to go to a pl- the planet that they're going to to see if they can find the missing first contact crew. is called Kylie 279, and apparently the ship that they were on was the USS Archer. Right. Which, of course, refers to Captain Archer from Enterprise, the Enterprise series. Right. So, again, very nice callback, but not in our face. Right. As they're leaving Space Dock, and they're going to go off to Kylie 279, Captain Pike says... Nobody dies. This will not be anybody's last day. And then turns the con over to Lon and goes to his quarters. <laughs> and then Spock follows him. And they have a, a nice little conversation over a glass of Saurian brandy. Which is funny because if you watch the original episode, The Cage, mm-hmm. it's a very 1965 kind of setting where there's martinis being mixed all the time. <laughs> so it's very much that. So I liked that too. Where they still kind of brought that in a little bit. Like Mad Men, yeah. Yes, exactly. But not, you know, again, very low-key, just sort of a nod to that. I I would guess we probably won't see a lot of that anymore, since that's no longer the culture we we exist in now. We no longer have the, you know, the highball as soon as you get home from work culture that existed in the 60s. Right. But it was a nice, again, just sort of touch to connect those two episodes over 56 years and I, and I and I enjoyed it. We're going to pause right here for a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Dud Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Doug here from the 13th Warehouse. If you are a fan of Eureka, 
please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka at EurekaRewatch.com. If you're a fan of Warehouse 13, please join Kim and Vicky over at the 13th Warehouse at the13thwarehouse.com. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse. And we're back. So Spock and Pike talk about Pike's experience on Boreth because this is what his issue is. This is what turned him into Grizzly Adams in Montana. When he was on Boreth, he encountered this crystal that created what was called a temporal consciousness displacement and gave Pike a vision of his future and specifically how he was going to die, which, as we know from the episode The Menagerie, was going to be exposure to, I think it was Delta radiation, if memory serves, that essentially left him completely incapacitated. So and he, so this is terrifying for him. I mean, it's terrifying for anyone. And he even knew from this experience that he had about a decade before this was going to happen, which, I don't know, how do you, how do you live with that? And that's what he's trying to figure out, well, how to live with that. I, see, this is what it kind of confuses me so he knows this he knows this 10 years ahead of time so isn't there some way he can avoid this happening yeah i mean that's certainly it but i think if memory serves when he had this encounter with that crystal on Borat, he recognized that he did it to save the lives of cadets right it was a training accident right and i think he realized that he is going to make that choice no matter what he's going to save those people now you're right how do you figure out how to not have it happen as a training accident well that's what i meant i mean he of course he was not going to say i'm not going to go on this mission because i'm not and i'm not going to save these cadets i'm wondering if there's a way he could avoid the accident yes i agree but the problem with accidents is that sometimes you can't avoid them right you don't know they're coming what is it that they said um during the apollo one investigation failure of imagination I think he's, I think he's, he feels that it is inescapable, whether it is or not, he feels that it's inescapable. And so he's trying to figure out how to function with that. Right. With that, with that knowledge. So we, uh, and then they come out of warp, which I thought was really fast. You know, like he barely had time to get a drink and then they were at the planet. Right. <laughs> so they're over um, Kylie 279 and they're trying to figure out what's going on and they realize that the, oh and what's really cool is actually um, Lon insists that they raise their shields and Spock is like no no we can't take a defensive posture that's bad for first contact and she's like I, we have to do this and so Pike does it he believes her and then they're attacked by plasma torpedoes which are much much lower technologically than the warp signature that they were there to investigate in the first place the warp signature that led to this mission for first contact which the Vulcans invented (laughs) (laughs) when the warp signature is identified rather than and this is something that we actually um, heard Picard explain during the episode first contact in the next generation when a society achieves warp technology the Federation will send a first contact mission so that there is not an accidental encounter in space that could lead to war such as with the Klingons. So that's what the Archer was there to do, was to say, oh, look, you're going to join us in space. Now you need to know we're here. So you don't, you know, shoot plasma torpedoes at us. Anyway, but what they realize after they're attacked is that these plasma torpedoes don't equal the same technological advancement as 
warp drive. And instead, what they're really sensing, detecting is not warp drive, but a warp bomb, which I thought was really interesting. How creative. And so what they've got here is a pre-warp civilization. And worse, not only is it a pre-warp civilization, but it's a pre-warp civilization that figured out how to create the warp bomb because the battle where Discovery... And this is the spoiler alert for people who have not seen Discovery, so here we go. Discovery went through a time tunnel 900 years in the future in order to save a huge database full of knowledge from a creature that was 100,000 years old from an artificial intelligence that was going to use it to destroy all life in the universe. So Captain Pike and the Enterprise were destroying the artificial intelligence and Discovery was taking this knowledge into the future where it could never be used by this evil artificial intelligence again. And so the battle that took place took place close to this planet, Kylie 279. And through their pre-warp technology, they were able to identify the power source and reproduce it, this warp power source, and turn it into a weapon. Did I miss anything on that? No, that's pretty much it. So they decide that they're going to actually go down and not only rescue their people, but see if they can figure out a way to stop this thing that it was kind of sort of the Federation's fault that it started. In order to do this, they have to look like the people. Yeah. So they go on down to sickbay, and there we meet Dr. Mbenga and Nurse Chapel. Now, do you recognize Dr. Mbenga? I think I do remember him. I remember his face. I can't remember the actor. Yeah. The character was a recurring character in the original series. And um, I best remember him from, and I believe the episode was A Private Little War, where Spock gets shot by a gun. And in order to save him, part of his recovery as a Vulcan, uh, Dr. Mbenga has to hit him. And Nurse Chapel refuses to do it. I mean, like, like, punch him. Okay. Spock is saying, you have to hit me, you have to hit me. And Nurse Chapel's like, no, I can't. And then Benga walks in and like, you got to hit him and starts just smacking the crap out of him. (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, that helps Spock recover from his injuries. So, And then we also meet Nurse Chapel, who's, of course, very famous, having been in, you know, multiple episodes in the original series and movies. She apparently is an expert on helping to change people's appearance so they can blend in with different species. And so Lon says, so you help people make disguises. And she (laughs) says, you boss a rocket ship if you want to put it simply. (laughs) Which was a great line and it kind of really let you know what this character was going to be like. Right. I was going to say that they made her such a a less boring character. um, Even just in this first episode. I mean, all I remember her from TOS and granted I haven't seen it in a while is she was just sulky all the time yeah and i and, think she and, was in, and mooning for spock right she was in love with spock and i think that was pretty much her whole character arc captain pike has a great phrase here and i think this is where he says it where he says damn the ramparts about going down and stopping things and not worrying about the prime directive which is not actually called the prime directive yet it's called general order one right and so i think that's this is where he said it but i liked it because to me this is where he was starting to find his drive again you know after this fear of death and knowing it's coming and it's going to be horrible it's going to be painful but doing this job being the captain of the enterprise being this representative of starfleet and the federation he's finding himself again in that moment where he says damn the ramparts we're gonna save these people and save our people and not worry about general order one i I really like that moment to me that was sort of like sort of a a pivotal moment but again it was done 
low key. It wasn't like in your face looking at the screen going, do you see it? Do you see it? Right, right. Yeah. So anyway, um, and this metamorphosis that a nurse chapel does to make them look like the native species is apparently very painful. And, and everyone took sedatives except for Lon. She refused to take sedatives and she just endured the pain. And, and so then, of course, we realized at that moment she has a backstory that we need to figure out. Right. He did say, I read your file. The backstory that she told at the end, I don't think explained that. Did it? You don't think so? Did it? Let's talk about we'll talk, Yeah, let's talk yeah. about it when we get there, because I thought it did. Okay. The other piece of this, though, is apparently this genetic transformation isn't going to necessarily stick with Spock. There's, you know, there's concern about it right. not sticking. They go down. They're on the planet, they're blending in, but they realize they have to go inside a really highly secured building. So they disable some scientists and take their clothes and their IDs and they, even their you know genetic identification process with their eyes and everything. They send the scientists to Enterprise to stay sedated and then they're gonna go inside this secure building. And as they're going in, Spock's genetic transformation is not holding. And so they actually have to beam down some kind of eye salve to make his eye match the retinal scan that Spock's eyes will then connect with the correct identity for the retinal scan and he won't be caught. In the meantime, the scientists who they beamed up to the Enterprise to keep sedated don't stay sedated. And one of them gets away and starts running through the ship with Chapel running after him, which is actually a very fun, fun scene. Yeah. And I love the juxtaposition of the tension with Spock, you know, that retinal scan not working on him with Chapel running through the, the ship after the scientists. Right. The, the amusement of that is really fun. So finally, um, he gets into a turbo lift accidentally and Uhura is there. Now, Uhura ha- was introduced early on in the episode as a cadet who is a prodigy. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're taking that from the movies. We pulled that out of the movies. And she is just She's just a lovely character, just bright and a little naive, but I think appropriate. You know, she's just got a sparkle to her that's really nice. And so she starts talking to this scientist, this scientist from Kylie 279, about this cool sports event that they have. And he's like, you know about this? And so she starts talking about it, how great it is, etc. And she completely calms him down just by being herself and just sort of bright and open. And then, of course, when he steps out of the uh, turbo lift, Chapel's there and she knocks him unconscious. <laughs> so very cute. Cool. And they call this a Delta Scorpii 7 situation. Yes, I saw that, yeah. So apparently Delta Scorpii 7 is escaped person on the ship <laughs> that they need to sedate. I don't know. Anyway, so they get inside the secure building and they make it down uh, an elevator to where the prisoners are being kept. And that's, of course, Una and two other members of the crew. And there was apparently, that's it. They just had the three members of the crew. Right. The captain and a couple of anthropologists or specialists in first contact they try to get back out of the building but some people come downstairs into the area where the prisoners were and they were almost it was like they were going to walk past everybody was like totally cool with it until spock's ears changed back yeah and then they realized he was an alien and then they had to disable everybody and so now our team is again trying to escape and they're in the elevator and pike makes the decision that you know what we're not going to leave and leave this technology in their hands. We're going to get them to stop doing this because they realize that they're sort of a almost a dysutopian society where the government's going to use 
this weapon on their own people right. who are fighting against the government's oversight, how the, the evil government. And it's going to turn into a nasty civil war. And so he has everybody else beam out of the elevator except for Spock, who clearly looks like a different species. And the elevator opens to a bunch of security people. And he says, take me to your leader. <laughs> <laughs> which actually refer, goes back to a movie he was watching at the very beginning when he was in his cabin. It was the day the earth stood still, which I'm pretty sure that's that line, take me to your leader, is in that movie. So then we get into the wonderful, very, very old time Star Trek discussion between Pike and the leader of this government about how you need to do right by your people. And you can't use this stuff and it's going to it's going to kill people. And we were we were you weren't supposed to have it. This is our fault. She's like, you know what? That may be the case, but we have a intractable enemy here. So I'm going to kill them anyway. She reminded me a little bit. Now, I have not seen the Hunger Games movies. I have not either. I'm not a big dystopian science fiction fan, but I've seen stuff from it. And so she reminds me of one of the characters from that movie. You know, I don't know who it is. It's somebody with really big hair and like ridiculous clothing and i don't know anyway that's oh. what she reminded me of the images i've seen and so uh, our listeners if you guys know who this character is that you guys have probably seen the hunger games movies and you're probably laughing at us because we've not seen the hunger games movies <laughs> go ahead and tell us in a comment as to who this character is that we're thinking of some character who's like an announcer or like a journalist or some kind of mc of the proceedings who a woman with wears really big hair and really amazing far out clothing so let us know who that is because i have no idea who it is i don't either and she has this phrase where she's like you know i find that the person who's going to win is the one with the biggest stick and so then he's on his way out and he realizes you know what i'm just not doing this and he calls the enterprise and says drop down into the atmosphere and they do and he's like i have the biggest stick (laughs) see i have a starship so you're gonna listen to me that seemed familiar to me and maybe it's just from something else the starship in the atmosphere yeah. Well, it goes back to the original series episode. I mean, it, it reminds me of an original series episode called, I think it was called Return to Tomorrow, where they accidentally get thrown back in time to, like, 1968, and there's a fighter pilot that they cause his plane to crash, and then they have to pull him on board. Do you remember that one? Barely. Yeah, they have to pull him on board, and then they have to go down to his, I don't know if it's an Air Force base or whatever, the base, and retrieve the film of their ship in the atmosphere that was taken by the military, and then they were going to keep the pilot but then they realized they couldn't because he had descendants who were going to you know greatly impact future space exploration and they had to return him to his plane at the time they took him out or something yeah that i remember what i'm thinking i just kind of for some reason and i could be thinking of a whole different show that they showed the ship to prove that they were stronger than whoever they were trying to make a point to oh okay that's what you're looking for an episode where they they show the ship yeah in order to make a point maybe i'm just thinking of a whole different show maybe i'm thinking of firefly no idea but <laughs> <laughs> it just that just seemed familiar to me the, there was the one tos episode not tos tng episode although they didn't show their ship where data was trying to evacuate yes. a village yeah they did show their strength by blowing up the aqueducts yes but i don't think that's what i'm thinking of the ensigns of command that's that episode yeah, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think. You're, yeah, I don't. Where they show the ship. Yeah, I'll have to think about that. But nothing comes to mind. So anyway, with that big stick, he gets these people to talk to each other. But he's concerned that they're not going to gonna have a meeting of the minds. And they're going to fight anyway. And he has a really interesting conversation with Lon at this point. Where she explains that her family was captured by the Gorn. Right. And 
essentially put to death really in horrible ways. And it goes back to when Pike was talking to Spock at the beginning of the episode, and Pike was like, you know, everybody everybody thinks they're not going to die right up to the moment where they die. Right. And she says something almost exactly the same when she says, do you know the look on my family's faces just before they died? And Pike says, surprise. And she's surprised that he knows the answer. And she says, yes, because not believing you're going to die is what gets you killed. And so he realizes that what he needs to do is come to it from a different place and that it is believe you're going to die will save your life because that's what she said saved her life. Believing that she was going to die saved her life. Right. Whereas everybody else died because they believed they would not die, which is an interesting philosophy. So he goes down and he has a conversation with the leaders that are trying to negotiate and it's not going well. And he shows them Earth's future or the, or the past, which is our future, which was very reminiscent of the original series and the way the original series took so much of the chaos that was going on in the 60s, so much chaos in the 60s. And I know you remember it and I remember some of it too. And it was, it felt very authentic then when I was watching it as a kid and a little uncomfortably authentic this time. Yeah, because some of that footage was actual footage from recent events. I think it was too. Yeah. And I remember as a kid, of course, as a kid, I was too young to really understand the ramifications of what I was seeing. I knew there was stuff going on. I knew there were protests. I knew that there was violence. I knew there were riots. I knew there were assassinations. Um, I knew there was a war going on. But I didn't understand the ramifications. And now having this presentation of this information happen again at this level of understanding that I have as an adult now was much, much more uncomfortable. Yeah. (laughs) But well done. Very, yes. I think it was very, very well done. So he essentially explains to them how the 21st century, things started to go wrong. And people began to argue and fight based on philosophical differences that they, you know, doubled down on. And then there was the Second Civil War, then the Eugenics Wars, and then finally World War Three. And they showed, the, you know, nuclear disaster, which, of course, is part of the canon right. of the history of Earth that's referenced in multiple different episodes. Right. Um, and it was really uncomfortable to watch. And so he essentially said, and I loved this. Um, He was saying, I'm here to talk to you about the power of possibility. And instead of assuming you're going to go to war, you need to make a choice to do something different. Um, You can kill each other or you can join our Federation of Planets. And I I love that. (laughs) Absolutely love that. So um, then we get this wonderful montage where we get to see the decision of the inhabitants of Kylie 2, 7, and 9, where they chose to join the Federation of Planets and start working on building spacecraft, which was also reminiscent of the 60s because the flip side of all of the riots and the protests and the war that was happening was also the Apollo program which was for me one of the most I mean it it spurred my imagination to no end and I've said this before and I'll say it again I assumed because of the Apollo program and again I was very young but I assumed based on what was going on with the Apollo program that's what was going on with Star Trek was not far behind far behind right this was going to be the next step this right. is where we were where we were going right Still waiting for that. (laughs) (laughs) So um, they get back to the Starbase, and the Admiral said he's not going to put them in jail for violating General Order 1. And he also figured out what happened to Discovery. He had to pull a lot of strings to get that classified information that he knew what was going on there. Right. And then they decide um, decide they're going to continue to go out and explore. And Pike says, yes, he's going to continue to stay on enterprise and he's still going to have una be his first officer and they're getting everything settled for the the real start of the series where we're going to go out and explore things learn new things and have some fun 
there were a couple of things things that were tied up a little bit. This Lieutenant Kirk that was referred to earlier in the episode shows up, and it's Samuel Kirk. Right, and I totally forgot about him. Did you? Yeah, I did. I totally forgot there was a Sam. That Kirk had an older brother named Sam, or that he was going to be on this series? No, I totally forgot about his brother. And his, bro- his name is really George, right? No, George was his father. Isn't it George Samuel, and they call him Sam? Oh, maybe. So we actually met first met Samuel Kirk in the original series episode Operation Annihilate, which involved those plastic things that attacked people's backs and <laughs> sucked the life out of them. And he was married to a woman named Orlon, who was played by an actress who has the best scream in history. She's in the fir- in sick bay. She screams in pain, and it's it's like really probably the best scream. <laughs> I mean, it's a terrifying, horrible, pain-filled scream. You don't forget the scream. <laughs> So then we find out um, more about uh, Lon and how she didn't think that Pike was going to trust her because of her experience with the Gorn, which I wasn't entirely certain of. Why? What about her experience? See, I thought Pike wasn't going to trust her because she already knew, number one, he thought she wouldn't be objective about rescuing number one. That's what I thought. I didn't take it that it had anything to do with the Gorn. You know, I actually got it. I, I kind of thought it was a, a sort of a bookend, so to speak, to Pike's not trusting himself because of his knowledge of his death and that she didn't trust that he was going to trust her because of her knowledge of how of death and how she escaped death. Essentially bookending these two traumatic experiences and how they were going to affect their ability to do their job. She was worried that he wasn't going to trust her if he knew what her full experience was. And then he said, and I loved what he said here, you were afraid I wasn't going to trust you, so you didn't trust me, which I thought was wonderful, wonderful way to put it. You didn't give me the chance to make my own decision. You made the decision for me. So it was really cool. So he's now, you can see he's found a place, he's found a resolution for himself, even though he knows what his, his destiny is. He knows it may not be pleasant. He's found a resolution for himself in the now, and he's going to go and do the best he can on this ship. And he starts talking about how they're going to go explore strange new worlds and new civilizations and boldly go where no one's gone before. And Uhura looks up and says, cool. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So cute, so cute. (laughs) And, And that's it. That's the end of the episode. Did I miss anything important? During the conversation where April was telling them that he got them off through a loophole, he did mention that their escapade is leading to the creation of a prime directive. Oh, yes, yes. And Pike says, that's never going (laughs) to (laughs) happen. Yeah, so that's it. Yeah, the only thing that bothered me, and it's only me, the aliens' makeup is exactly like the vampires on Buffy and Angel. And when you've spent years watching, not so much Buffy, but Angel, that's all I was seeing was the vampires. That's exactly what they look like. Oh, that's funny. See, I've never seen that, so I didn't have that. Right. Exactly. Except for the blue markings or black markings. That was vampire makeup. Exactly. Isn't that funny? And it bothered me every time I saw the aliens. I was like, I couldn't. You were, you were having a disconnect. I couldn't not. Yeah, I couldn't not think of it. How funny. Oh, actually, there was one other thing I wanted to mention. The transporter chief, Kyle. That's also a reference back to a character in the original series. Oh, really? Yeah, Chief Kyle. I have a memory of him in the episode Mirror, Mirror. He was one of the um, henchmen who operated the pain thing. Oh, okay. Oh, geez. I can't think of it now. Oh, my yeah. God. 
not the agonizer, which was the handheld pain thing, but like the agony booth. That was it. He was a hench. He was a henchman. Oh, okay. I remember that. So anyway, okay. Well, um, on a scale of one to ten, what would you give this one, Vicky? I'm gonna give it an eight and a half. Oh, I'm gonna give it a nine. Very good. Okay. So we invite our listeners to join us next time when we talk about Strange New Worlds, Season 1, Episode 2, Children of the Comet. We'll hope you join us then. Okay. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. You can continue exploring the universe with Moms Going Boldly by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash momsgoingboldly and on Twitter at momsgoingboldly. The music used on Moms Going Boldly is Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. On Twitter, at Ross Bugden. Licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, creativecommons.org. You can listen to Moms Going Boldly on Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. And we're now also available on Apple Podcasts. Transfer complete.